The reason I asked Pastor Wendy if I could share this message by myself is because I want to talk specifically to the men. This morning, I want to challenge the men. Ben Kinchlow said it this way. He said, being male is a matter of birth. There was a 50-50 chance genetically that I would come out a man. It was a matter of chance. But being a man is a matter of choice. Being male is a matter of chance. But being a man is a matter of choice. You're not a man just because you have the right plumbing. We've got to get it right. We've got to get it right. We've got to get it right. And we're talking about radical love. We're talking about sacrificial love. And the tagline for this entire series is you before me because we have to once again discover what it looks like to be selfless in our love one for the other. And it begins with the person that we've chosen to spend the rest of our lives with because it's not a contract you entered into, it is a covenant. And if you weren't at Kingdom Marriage Bible Study last Wednesday, you missed you missed an incredible time because I started to talk about what covenant looks like. So before I get off course one degree, let me get back to my notes. Here's part of the problem. Is that most of us have changed the standard and we celebrate every time we meet the standard. So, Pastor, what are you talking about? Levi has an eight-foot goal. It's an adjustable basketball goal, but we have it adjusted to eight feet because when he plays with his team, they shoot on an eight-foot goal. And so the other day, he was at his friend's house, and his friend also has a basketball goal, and they were playing in the front yard. So I went over there grabbed the ball, and I started dunking on that eight-foot goal. And every time I dunk, I beat my chest. And Levi said, Daddy, do it again! And I would dunk and growl, beat my chest. Levi said, Daddy, do it again! And I would do it again. The problem is, I'm giving Levi an impression that I'm dunking, but the standard is different. And I'm celebrating the fact that I'm hitting a lower standard every single time. Husbands, men in the room, most of us have lowered the standard and we're celebrating the fact that we're hitting the target every time. But it's so far removed from the 10-foot goal that God established for us. We are missing the target all the time and rejoicing that because we move the bullseye to the left, that somehow we're good at what we're doing. And so before I go any further, it'll be helpful for us to go back to God's standard 
of what love is. So that this cheap imitation that we're offering to our wives can be exposed for what it is. This cheap counterfeit that we call love that we're throwing at our wives can be exposed for what it is. First Corinthians chapter 13. Go to Amplify. He says, love endures with patience and serenity. Wives, you begin to evaluate the relationship with your husband as we read the text. Husbands, you begin to evaluate your relationship and how you interact with your wife as we read the text. Am I patient? Patience is learning to move at somebody else's pace. Or am I demanding that my wife move at my pace? It's my way or the highway. The only thing that's acceptable is the way I want it and the way I say it should be. If that's the way it is in your relationship, you have lowered the standard and you're rejoicing that you're hitting the lower standard every time. Love is patient. It learns to move at someone else's pace. It's also serene. Serenity is another word for peace. And peace is simply the calm assurance that God is doing the right thing. Oh, here's the other one. Love is kind and thoughtful. Wives, ask yourself the question, this joker that I'm sitting next to, that I'm waking to, waking up to every morning, is he even kind to me? I was watching Christian television, and I shared this with the Kingdom Marriage Bible Say. I was watching Christian television, and, and the husband and wife, who were, who were ministers, well-known ministers, she said there was a time in their marriage when she, when she asked her husband, this is what she told her husband, can you just treat me with the same kindness and respect that you show your frat boys? No, because men, we're not rude and disrespectful to each other. Our wives, though, we can cuss them out, we can ignore them, we can stonewall them, and we would never do that to one of our boys. Let me tell you part of the problem, one of the things that's missing in marriages is what the scripture calls phileo, which is brotherly love. Do you even love your wife as you would love a friend? Because the love of God is kind. Wives, if you're sitting in this auditorium, begin to ask yourself, if he says he loves me, And the Bible says that love is kind. Kind. Just be nice to your wife. Just be thoughtful. Can I call what I'm showing my love, my wife, love? If it's devoid of kindness and thoughtfulness? No, we've lowered the standard and we rejoice that we hit the target every time. Uh, Let's go further. Love isn't jealous or envious. Love doesn't brag and is not proud or arrogant. It's not rude. It's not self-seeking. Oh, here's another one. It is not provoked. You know what that means? It is not overly sensitive and easily angered. You say you love your wife and she can't tell you nothing? As soon as she opens her mouth to express how she is feeling, you shut it down and you pout like a baby? And you get mad and start throwing stuff and breaking stuff? 
and even have the audacity to put your hands on her and say, well, baby, I love you? In what universe can that be defined as love? Oh, uh, uh, I ain't getting along with my wife, so I'm going to call my ex-girlfriend and talk to her. And I'm going to tell my wife that I'm calling my ex-girlfriend. Is that, that's your definition of love? On, in, on what planet? And we beat our chest, Tony, as men. And so, oh, yeah, I love my wife. And we have this fake, pretentious social media life. Me and Bay at the park. It is a lie. It is a lie. It's a lie. It is a lie. And yet we become so comfortable with living with that eight-foot goal lie. And then we go back to see how many people like the picture. And it's all a lie. It's a lie. It's a lie. It says love doesn't take into account a wrong that is endured. It does not rejoice at injustice, but rejoices with the truth when right and truth prevail. Love bears all things, regardless of what comes. That's what we saw in that video. Regardless of what comes, no matter how many times the music changes, no matter how painful it gets, no matter how difficult it gets, whatever comes, love endures all things. It believes all things, looking for the best in each one. Y'all hear that? Looking for the best in each one. When was the last time the music changed and you intentionally looked for the best in your spouse? In fact, Andrew Cardigan, he said it this way. He said, uh, 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 finding the good in people is like mining for gold. You have to move a ton of dirt to get to one ounce of gold. But most of us, all we see, man, I'm looking for this gold, but snap. Whew. Can a brother get at least one ounce today? And we give up. Because the more we dig for gold, the more dirt we see. And sometimes we give up before we get to the one ounce of gold. The Bible says if you are a lover, You will find the best in your spouse. It hopes all things. Listen to this now. Remaining steadfast, remaining steadfast during difficult times. During difficult times. When life gets hard, love, if I truly love my wife, when life gets hard is not the time I'm looking for the exit. When the music changes and the beat of the song is a beat that I don't like. In fact, I hate the song and I hate that band. I don't leave the party. I hope you'll hear me. 
I don't walk out of the prom just because I don't like the last three songs that the DJ played. The music changed, and now I'm out. No, it remains steadfast during difficult times. Listen to this. Love will endure all things without weakening. You know why? Because love is a choice, not an emotion. Every single day, you and I can make the choice to love. Even when we don't feel like we're in love. I'll say that again. Every single day, you and I can make the choice to love. Even when you don't feel in love. I'm talking to the men. I'm talking to the men. Because true love always says, you before me. Radical love, and that's the series that we're in, always says, you before me. Let's read this from the Amplified, and then I'll move on. I'll just read it quickly. It says, if I speak with human eloquence, and this is from verse 1, if I speak with human eloquence and angelic ecstasy, but don't love, I'm nothing but the creaking of a rusty gate. You're just making noise. If you fell in love with him because he was spitting mad game, and he was writing you poetry, but he didn't have love. You fell for someone who was just making a whole lot of noise. And, and you know what that means? That means if you can out-argue your spouse, if you can say all the right things in all the right ways where she has no comeback and you manipulate her because of your mastery with your words, you're making a whole lot of noise. Oh, oh here's the other one. If I speak God's word with power, revealing all his mysteries and making everything plain as day, and if I have faith that says to a mountain, jump, and it jumps, but I don't love, I am nothing. If you have the productivity and the proficiency, but you don't have love, the scripture says you are nothing. Nothing. Oh, verses 3 to 7. If I give everything I own to the poor and even go to the stake to be burned as a martyr, but I don't love, I've gotten nowhere. How many of you realize that we can do good things with the wrong motives and call it love? But it's not. Listen to what it says. So no matter what I say and no matter what I believe and what, no matter what I do, I'm bankrupt without love. And again, this is the standard. This is not Ray Harmon's standard. This is God's standard. I have to evaluate whether I've lowered the goal to eight feet or if I'm striving to reach for God's standard, which is the 10-foot goal. It says love never gives up. Love cares more for others than for self. Somebody say you before me. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. Love doesn't strut, doesn't have a swelled head, doesn't force itself on others. Somebody say, you before me. Isn't always me first, you before me. Doesn't fly off the handle. 
doesn't keep score of the sins of others, doesn't revel when others grovel, takes pleasure in the flowering of truth, puts up with anything. Trust God always, always looks for the best, never looks back, but keeps going to the end. Love never dies. One translation says, love never fails. That's the standard from which there can be no deviation. Because when we deviate even one degree over time, we'll find ourselves 500, 600, 1,000 miles off course. And we'll ask ourselves the question, how do we get here? Now, all of a sudden, when you should have been growing together, you've drifted apart. So on Wednesday morning, at 2.30 a.m., from 2.30 a.m. to 4.30 a.m. this past Wednesday, I couldn't sleep. And I felt like God started to deal with me concerning family history. And said, so I want you to speak to the men. Because there are things that you and I are struggling with now that somehow is caught up in generations that preceded us. Okay. Let me help you with this. <clears throat> For those of you who have health insurance, life insurance, you understand this. When you're filling out the application, one of the questions or battery of questions you must answer is on family medical history. Because if someone in your family, if there is a pattern of high blood pressure, hypertension, or cancer, the people offering the care, even the doctor offering the care, or the company offering insurance recognizes that there is a chance, there is a propensity toward any of these physical diseases. That if there's a family history of hypertension, which is in my family from my mom's side, and a family, a history of high cholesterol, which is on my dad's side, there is a propensity that I will inherit those genes and I will have those same struggles. You guys know that last year when I did my, my blood work, my cholesterol came back off the charts. And I even told you all the number. I'm going to tell you all again. 311. My cholesterol should be under 200. But my cholesterol is at 311. And I will be up here preaching. Man, what's this shortness of breath business, man? And I would run up the stairs with Levi and carry Levi up the stairs with shortness. Of, what's, up, what's up with this? Now, you guys know as men, we don't like to go to the hospital, right? We don't do that. And so even last year, the doctor said, hey, man, you need to be on medication. I said, no, diet and exercise. So I told my wife for Father's Day, you know this, I want body beast. <laughs> Hadn't picked it up yet, though. It's on the dresser. On the dresser. And then I started like, man, this ain't right, man. This ain't right. So I started to watch my diet, and before Brooks and Chassie left, and they still work out with us, Facebook, FaceTime, uh, two weeks, man, dropped six pounds, just working out with Brooks, cholesterol's down to two, 
66. Thank you for the polite golf clap. I was anticipating a roar of support for my great accomplishments, but uh, I'll take the golf clap. But right now, y'all, check this out. Right now, see this little bump right here? I'm wearing a heart monitor. I've been wearing for 14 days because there was some concern with my heart. And so thankfully today I get to take it off um, and then I'll send it in and evaluate what's going on with my heart. Why did I say all of that? There's a family history. And there are things that I'm dealing with now in my life personally that I inherited. And as you begin to examine God's word, there are generational patterns that you'll find, especially with how men interacted with their wives. So, so, so I just want to take a few moments and talk about that. Because the cycle and the pattern needs to end with you. The cycle and the pattern needs to end with you. You're not going to pass it down to your children. You're not going to pass it down to your children's children. This is what the scripture says in Exodus chapter 20. God says, I will bless the obedience of one man even unto the fourth generation. Timothy, when Paul began to speak to him, said, look, man, I see, I see the genuine faith that is in you, which was first in your mother, which is now, which it was first in your, it was in your mother, which was first in your grandmother. It was a generational pattern of faith that went from generation to generation to generation. If it's true that it happens with faith and blessing from generation to generation to generation, and if it's true that it happens with us physically, with our health, from generation to generation to generation, do you think that there could be a generational pattern of bad stuff that passes down from generation to generation? Is it possible that in some families that we've sat with, that there is a history from generation to generation to generation of alcoholism? That in some generations, it's promiscuity and infidelity. You think that's by accident? Absolutely not. And I want to speak honestly to the men. Because again, on Wednesday morning for two hours as I sat there, God began to tell me, deal with family history. And some of us are struggling as men with generational dispositions that we inherited from those who preceded us. And we have to identify for what it is and resist it with everything in us. Say, so, okay, Pastor Ray, what you talking about? Where are my notes at? I'm going to go fast. But this is going to help us this morning. All right, real quick. Another definition, and this is Dr. Tony Evans. He defines love as compassionately and righteously pursuing the well-being of another. 
listen to this now, compassionately and righteously pursuing the well-being of another. That is the standard for what marriage should look like. That in my relationship with my wife and in my wife's relationship to me, she ought to be and I ought to be, number one, compassionately and righteously pursuing. Listen to that word pursuing. That means I make their well-being a priority. I intentionally order my life and my choices and my decisions so that her welfare and her well-being is protected. That's what love is. If I'm doing anything that does not prioritize my wife's well-being, first and foremost, I cannot call it love. I'll say that again. Men, if your actions and your decisions and your interactions do not ensure her well-being, you cannot call what that thing you're doing is love. That is the standard. Not what culture has been dictating to us for generations. So you can call it something else, but don't call it love. Okay. We're not so sure about that, are we? Okay, let's look at Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12 is sort of this introduction to a man named Abram. Abram is going to become the patriarch of the nation of Israel. He is referred to as the father of faith. So we know that Abraham, if if you read just the New Testament, what you'll discover is that Abraham is this man of faith and power. He's a bad dude. In fact, God blesses this guy In fact, I can't go into detail about it. But if all you do is read the New Testament, you will think that Abraham was flawless. But when you read the Old Testament, what you'll find is the deleted scenes. And all of us have the director's cut of our lives that everybody gets to see. But if we look a little bit closer, we'll find the deleted scenes. If all I ever read was the New Testament, I would call Abraham a saint who was perfect and flawless. But when I examined the text, even though this was a guy who God chose and said, I'm going to build my nation through you, Abraham had issues. Genesis chapter 12, are we there? Look at verse 10. We're going to read verses 10 through 20. Now there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to dwell there, for the famine was severe in the land. And it came to pass, when he was close to entering Egypt, that he said to Sarai, his wife, this is before he entered into covenant with God. I don't have time to get into the name change that comes with covenant, but Sarai became, anyway, I don't have time to get into it. This is before the covenant. Listen to what he's saying to his wife now. This is what he's saying to his wife. God's man of faith and power. He says to his wife, indeed, I know that you're fine. You a dime piece, brick house, fox, hottie, shouty, whatever they say today. He said, girl, you're fine. And your fineness is about to be a problem where we going. Therefore, it will happen when the Egyptians see you that they will say, this is his wife, and they're going to try to kill me. 
but they're going to let you live, girl. Uh, 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 so, so, so um, I got a plan. Uh, uh, please say that you're my sister, that it may be well with me. Listen to what he's saying now. We're going to come up with this story to preserve me for your sake that I may live because of you. Keep going. So it was when Abraham came into Egypt, just like Abram said, the Egyptians saw the woman and they, and they, and they were like, man, she's fine. And then the princess of Pharaoh also saw her and commended her to Pharaoh. They said, man, there's this girl that just showed up. You got to holler at her, man. Listen to what happened. And the woman was taken to Pharaoh's house. Pump the brakes for a minute. Abraham is protecting his own back, but he has zero care or concern what happens next to his wife. As long as I live, I don't care what happens to you. Go on to Pharaoh's house, but I'm going to live. And whatever happens to you in Pharaoh's house, when it's all said and done, we're going to move on with this trip. Go on now, girl. Go on. Listen to this. This is his wife that he surrendered to Pharaoh. Most of us men in this room are content and happy with our marriage just as it is as long as we find. And we leave our wives to suffer in silence. Listen to what it says. Verse 16, it gets even worse. There is no you before me in Abraham's thought process. Listen to what it is. It says Pharaoh treated Abraham well for his wife's sake. So while his wife is in Pharaoh's house, Pharaoh pouring out blessing on Abraham. He ain't even concerned about what's going on with his wife. Ain't even concerned. And maybe there's not a pharaoh in your house that's distracting your wife, but I can guarantee you that love always covers and protects. If love compassionately pursues the well-being of another, is Abraham loving his wife? Is he pursuing her well-being? Absolutely not. Now, for those of us who read books about his needs, her needs, a woman's primary need is the need for safety and security. Is there any point while Pharaoh's princes are taking Abraham's wife away from him and her husband's watching her being taken away to Pharaoh's house, is there any point where Sarah feels safe and secure with Abraham? And our wives suffer in silence because of our unwillingness to protect them. I'm good. She can be mad all she want. I'm good. I mean, I'm, I'm going to play ball with the fellas. And we let our wives suffer in silence. It doesn't happen once. It happens twice. Abraham, God's man of faith and power, does it again. Let me read it to you. And I'm about to wrap it. Genesis chapter 20, verses 1 through 18. Wives, begin to evaluate what your husband has been offering to you. Have you ever felt like Sarah? My husband's doing good. But somehow I find myself emotionally in Pharaoh's house. 
and he won't even come rescue me. He's left me with these people to do whatever they want. He should be covering me. But he's left me, and the only thing he can think about is himself. Look, look at Genesis chapter 20. <clears throat> Are we there? And Abraham journeyed from there to the south and dwelt between Kadesh and Shur and stayed in Gerar. Now Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, she is my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. Again, he lied again. And somebody else took his wife a second time. At this point, do you think Sarah has any confidence in her husband? Our wives are crying out to us. And they're asking that question. Am I safe with you? Am I secure with you? Or when the music changes, are you just going to offer me up to Pharaoh and Abimelech? And ignore my pain. And ignore where I am emotionally. Abraham, I know you're good. But do you see and feel what I'm experiencing now? I'm talking to the men. I'm not even going to read it, but in Genesis chapter 26, the reason I talk about family history, his son Isaac does the exact same thing. All of this happened before Isaac was born. So you and I can't blame it on the fact that Isaac saw his daddy do it. But there was a family history of men who married beautiful women who left them uncovered. It was generational. It was a pattern. Not only that, his grandson Jacob did the exact same thing. And that's where I'm going to end this message. You got to deal with your family history. Whatever your family history looked like. Here at City Church, we always say, look, we're going to be as transparent as I come from a long line of male freaks. And it's a generational disposition that I have to contend with daily. Y'all think I'm playing. You know the patterns and the proclivities and the dispositions that exist in your family. Notice Abraham didn't lift a finger to protect his wife. Love covers and protects. Abraham didn't cover his wife or protect her. He let someone just take her off. And again, I'm not talking about in a physical sense only for the women. Some of us just allow our lives to suffer, in, our wives to suffer in silence and be dragged away emotionally by Pharaoh and Abimelech. As long as we find. As long as I continue to climb the corporate ladder and I'm getting paid, remember Pharaoh took care of Abraham while his wife was suffering. And your wife in your house is unprotected. And it just seems like, Tony, sometimes the, the, we up the ante from generation to generation. It seems like the stronghold just gets stronger and stronger and worse and worse. Because I, I got to read this one. I'll go read it from my Bible and then I'll go close. Can y'all give me just 10 minutes and I'm done? Give me 10 minutes and I'm done. Uh, Genesis chapter 29. I'm going to close here. <laughs> oh, Lord, I wish I had time. It's family history. Some of us are fighting demons. 
that we inherited from our forefathers' iniquities. It's in the Bible, Exodus chapter 20. He said, I will visit the iniquities of the fathers even to the fourth generation. And I misspoke earlier. He says, I will bless you even to a thousand generations, but I will visit the iniquity of your fathers even to the fourth generation. And when you read the Bible, you will see where the pattern stops. And there are things that we struggle with as men that we can trace back to our family history. So Abraham did it. Isaac did it. Now here's Jacob. What else are we at? Genesis 29. Genesis chapter 29, and I'm going to end right here. I told you all to give me 10 minutes. Give me 10, put 10 minutes on that clock for me, please. So now, man, I wish I had time. I wish I had more time. So now it's Jacob's time to get married. Abraham married Sarah. Isaac married Rebekah. And then Jacob now is looking for his wife. The title of this message, by the way, is Sister Wives. Like I said last week, and this is why it's called Sister Wives. So Jacob is about to get married. Jacob comes, and it was a tradition, it was a custom to go back to your own family to find your wife. This is before Leviticus. So before Leviticus, you could marry whoever you wanted to marry. And in fact, it was encouraged that you marry somebody from your own family. In the Bible, they were getting down like they get down in Arkansas, (laughs) y'all. If your family tree doesn't fork, it could be biblical. You mean? <laughs> I'm so, so. Sorry, let me, let me bring it back here. If your family tree doesn't have branches, it's just one trunk all the way down. So he goes back to his father's house, his family. In fact, he goes back to where his mother Rebecca came from. Now, Rebecca has a brother named Laban, and Laban has two daughters. So, let me just put that in modern terms. He goes to his uncle's house, and he's got two daughters, Rachel and Leah, and they're Jacob's cousins. Somebody say sister wives. (laughs) It's in the Bible. I ain't making it up. So I'm just going to read this to you real quick. Where am I going to start? Let me start at verse 9. Genesis 29, verse 9. Listen to this. Now, while he was still speaking with them, Rachel, he was speaking to the shepherds. He says, now, while he was still speaking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. And it came to pass, when Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother. Look at that. That's his, his, his uncle is Laban. Rachel is his cousin, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother. Then Jacob went near, and he rolled the stone from the well's mouth. Fellas, y'all know how we do when we see a fire woman. We get that extra burst of adrenaline, and we start picking up cards and throwing them. And here's Jacob, when he saw Rachel, man, he was like. That was kind of heavy, but. I, put, <laughs> I can't do what I used to do. Man, he saw Rachel, and he's like. 
man, that made me dizzy. <laughs> I got to check my heart monitor. <sighs> so so, so he's he showing out because he saw the girl is fine. So he took that big rock, rolled it single-handedly, didn't ask for no help because he's thinking, Rachel going to see me. I'm Jake Diesel. Uh, so <clears throat> that was his first move. That was a power move. <clears throat> Listen to this. He rolled the stone from the well's mouth. Listen to what he did. He watered the flock of Laban, his brother. That dude just went in and just put that bucket in the started watering all the sheep. He started giving all the sheep water. Trying to impress this girl. Y'all know how we do, fellas. Y'all know how we do. First he rolled the stone. And then he gave all the sheep water. Right in front of Rachel. Y'all know, y'all know how we do, fellas. Y'all, y'all, y'all know. Eh, 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 eh. So, so that was move number two. Check this out. Y'all see verse 11? The scripture says, then he kissed Rachel. And he lifted up his voice and wept. <laughs> That's that romance the ladies be looking for. Oh, girl, he kissed me and he started crying. Like, girl. He was out there sweating, moving rocks. <laughs> what am I doing? Let me preach. No, listen to this now. <laughs> this guy kissed this girl and, and he just started crying. Somebody say soulmate. He found the one. And he knew it when he saw. Isn't it? Where am I? Verse 11. Uh, then Jacob kissed Rachel and lifted up his voice and wept. And Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's relative and that he was Rebekah's son. So he, she ran and told her father. Then it came to pass when Laban heard the report about Jacob's, Jacob, his sister's son, that he ran to meet him and embraced him and kissed him and brought him to the house. So he told Laban all these things. And Laban said to him, surely you are my bone and my flesh. And he stayed with him for a month. Now listen to this. Over that one month period, Jacob declares his intentions. The first thing we said is love always covers and protects. Number two, we're about to, 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 to discover the next thing. Here it is. Uh, then Laban, verse 15, then Laban said to Jacob, because you are my relative, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what should your wages be? Now Laban had two daughters, and the name of the elder was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. I don't even have time to get into their names. But the scripture says, Leah's eyes were delicate. It means you were cockeyed. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't say, is that bad? Sorry. I shouldn't have said that. Cross-eyed. I'm sorry, cross-eyed. Is cross-eyed better than the other word? I'm from Liberia. I don't know. Okay, she was cross-eyed. Sorry. Her eyes were delicate. All right, okay. She had that eye that kind of drifted. But check this out. But Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. Y'all see those two words? Form and appearance. 
the grill was right, everything was. So the distinction between the two daughters is purely physical. One has the advantage only because of what she looks like. So there's two daughters in the house. And Jacob said, Laban says, what am I going to give you in return for this service you provide for me? Jacob's like, you got two daughters, man. Man, I said that like, what's his name? Terrence Howard in Hustle and Flow. You got two daughters, man. <laughs> Sorry, I digress. Okay, so, so, so long and short, verse 18. This is, this is Jacob now. This is, this is Jacob. It says, now Jacob loved Rachel. He loved Rachel. He loved Rachel. He's about to express the extent of his love, and this is what he says. This isn't Laban telling him what to do. This is Jacob saying, this is, I love this girl so much. This is what I'm willing to do in return for her hand in marriage. He says, I will serve you seven years for your daughter, Rachel. Love covers and protects. Number two, love serves. Love serves. Love serves. Wives, I want you to consider, when was the last time your husband served you? Without you demanding that he help you with the dishes or help you with the laundry or take out the trash because love instinctively serves. Nobody had to tell Jacob what to do. He said, I, because I love this girl so much, I will serve you for seven years. So at the end of the seven years, this is where I close. This is where I close, right here. At the end of the seven years, Laban pulls a fast one on Jacob. He brings his daughter, Leah, because she was older, and it was their custom that the older daughter should marry first. So he brings Leah. She's got on her thing. She's got her whole head covered, so he doesn't know. And they consummate the marriage, and the next morning he wakes up, and he sees that it's Leah and not Rachel. Bad news. So this is what he does. He goes back to Laban, and he's mad. And Laban says, you're going to have to work for me seven more years in order to get Rachel. But he said, look, I'm going to let you be with Leah for one week. And after one week, I'm going to bring Rachel to you. You're going to marry Rachel, and you're going to have Leah, sister wives, but you're going to serve me another seven years. So Jacob serves a total of 14 years for Rachel because love serves. Now this is where it gets real tricky, and this is where I'm going to close. Is that the third time I've said that? All right, this is the third and final. This is where it gets pretty powerful, but I promise you this is where I'm going to close. So he marries Leah, and what he finds is that things aren't always as they appear. And the scripture says in verse 31, Genesis 29, when the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, that the older sister was unloved, he opened her womb, but Rachel, the pretty one, was barren. The sister that he didn't want could bear children. The woman that he wanted could not. And so he's with Leah, who he doesn't love, but she's giving him what he wants. 
She's giving him sons. Listen to what, listen to what happens. Listen to what happens. Verse 32, so Leah conceived and bore a son. Listen to this, verse 32. Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called him Reuben. For she said, the Lord has surely looked on my affliction. Now, therefore, my husband will love me. She thought that by giving him a son, his heart would change. She thought, if I give him my body, he will give me his heart. Then I'll say that again. If I give him my body, maybe he will give me his heart. And she named the first son Reuben, which means, do you hear me? And there are wives in this room that are giving of themselves to their husbands, hoping that maybe if I do the right things, maybe if I go the extra mile, then he will start to hear me. Maybe he will start to listen to me. Maybe I'll not just be another voice that he ignores. And she gave him the first son and said, maybe now my husband will give me his heart. And maybe now he will hear me. She has a second son, y'all. She ain't pretty, but somehow Jacob always with her. She ain't beautiful, but she's bountiful. And Jacob is always with her. She has a second son, and she names him Simeon. The name Simeon means, do you see me? There are women in this room right now who say, well, maybe I gave him the first son, and he doesn't listen to me. He doesn't hear me. He ignores my voice. But maybe now, since I, since I didn't just give him a firstborn son, maybe if I give him a second son, then now he will see me. He will act like he knows that I'm here, that I exist. And Jacob ignores her. Gives him a third son that they named Levi, which means to be attached. Said so maybe this time if I give him another son, maybe he will attach himself to me. Still, nothing. In the other house, there's Rachel. In the other house, there's Rachel, the wife that he loved. Genesis chapter 30 and verse 1. Now when Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, Rachel envied her sister. The pretty sister is envying the sister who wasn't so cute. And then she says to Jacob, give me children or else I will die. She puts pressure on Jacob to do for her what he did for Leah. And that's what happens when our priorities are all wrong. We put our expectations in the wrong places. Wives, don't squeeze your husband. The more you squeeze him, the more of his humanity you'll get out. You squeeze your husband, don't squeeze your husband expecting Jesus to come out. If you squeeze your husband, you get more of Jacob. Give me children or else I die. Listen to Jacob's response. And Jacob's anger was aroused against Rachel. And he said, am I in the place of God who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? said, this is God's thing to fix, not mine. Even though it was the woman that he loved. What am I saying this morning? 
This thing called love goes so much farther than we've, we've, we've tapped into. Because love will always cover and protect, and love will always serve. He served 14 years for this woman. Now he has what he wants, but what he wanted can't do what he had hoped for. It is the difference between what we said before. If you worship the ideal, if you become fixated on the ideal, you will never be content with your current situation. Here are two wives. Rachel is the ideal. Leah is the current situation. And he kept going back and forth and back and forth. And sometimes the things we think we want are the things that don't produce and leave us disappointed. I wish I had more time, but this is where I'm going to close. At the end of their lives, at the end of their lives, Rachel dies in childbirth. She has two sons. By the grace of God, she has two sons. The first son is Joseph. People always wonder why Jacob loved Joseph so much. He loved Joseph so much because Joseph was the child of Rachel, the one who couldn't have children, the woman that he had loved and worked seven years for. So she has this baby named Joseph, and he is the favorite son. That's why he got the coat of many colors, because Rachel finally had children. The second child was Benoni, or Benoni, and she died in childbirth. So the woman that he loved, much like the movie we watched, she dies suddenly in childbirth, and she names him Benoni, or Benoni, which means son of my sorrows. And Jacob changed the name to Benjamin, which means son of my right hand, son of my power, son of my authority. And then she's buried in Bethlehem. So, Pastor Ray, why are you saying all of this? He buries her where she dies. But when Leah dies, when Leah dies, this is what he asked. Bury me in the place of my fathers. And the scripture says that Jacob was buried, not just in the place of his fathers, but he was buried next to Leah. Jacob could have asked to be buried anywhere. He could have been asked to be buried next to Rachel. But at the end of his life, he put life in perspective, and he realized it wasn't about the ideal, but it was about learning to be content with such things as God has given me. And in his death, he asked to be buried, not next to Rachel, the pretty cute girl, but he asked to be buried next to Leah, the one that was unloved. And the turning point for Leah before she died was she had a fourth son, and that fourth son was named Judah, which means praise. Daughters, no matter what Jacob does, whether he hears you, whether he sees you, whether he becomes attached to you or not, you have to get to the place where you make your choice. That whether he sees me, loves me, cares for me, notices me, talks to me, attaches himself to me or not, I will praise my God. I will no longer depend on Jacob's attention for my fulfillment. And she had a fourth son and named him Judah, which means praise. Whether he comes around or not, I will praise you. Because love is a decision. Being in love is an emotion. Choose love. Choose love. Make the decision to love the one you're with. 
make the decision to hear her, to see her, and to become attached to her. And I want to pray for every marriage in this room that God would do the work of healing and restoration and that as husbands, we will move toward our wives, that we will make the decision to love them, that we will not wait until we get a perfect Rachel situation, but even while our situation in our marriage looks like it's a Leah instead of a Rachel, when the music changes, I still choose you. I choose to love you because love will always cover. Wise, if you don't feel covered and protected, tell him. Love will always serve like Jacob served. If you don't feel served, tell him. What's the third point? Love. Is there a third point? Love. Love what? Love feels. Love feels. Will he see me? Will he hear me? Will he become attached to me? If you're married to someone and your wife is constantly telling you, we're disconnected, you don't hear me, you don't feel me, you've lowered the goal, and you're making the shot every time, it's time to get back to God's standard. Let me pray. Father, first of all, I ask you to forgive me because I don't even think that I...